I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello and welcome into the Fog.net podcast. My name is Michael Swain, the Kansas beat writer for 24-7 Sports. We're back with the Sunday podcasts. We're going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty um, for every Sunday going through the football season, just like we did last year. Um, today, we're going to recap camp. It's been a busy month. Um, I think this usually goes right, saying Kevin in basketball, right? You know, it's cooling down outside, but it's heating up inside Allen Fieldhouse. Well, I think we could both say <laughs> it is heating up in Lawrence. The heat index on Sunday was 134 degrees. Yep. It's hot. It's it's hot in my apartment here. It's just hot everywhere. Um, how are you dealing with the heat? I have a feeling you're in a better position than I am here. Yeah, I mean, we were talking right before we went on. Uh, we got a new AC uh, this year, oh. and so uh, I, I'm down in the basement. And uh, in order to keep the whole house cool, basically uh, the the basement is a meat locker. So if you guys are are watching at any point this year, and you're like, man, like it's a hundred degrees outside. Why is Kevin wearing, you know, multiple layers or whatever? That's the reason why it is really, really cold downstairs where we do these. Oh, and then the opposite here for me is I've got a really, I like my desk set up here, but like it's next to some windows and maybe the worst insulated windows <laughs> in the world here. So it's hot. I'm ready. I've got my TV show tonight. So got to get ready for that too. So we're going to squeeze this in. Um, a lot to get to, Kevin, though. It's been a really, really busy month. Um, yeah. For some perspective, right? You know, KU started camp on August 1st. They wrapped up camp on August 19th. Over the course of those 19 days, they practiced 16 times. They have varied from shells to just shoulder pads to full padded practices. Um, a good blend of that. Over the course of camp, they had three scrimmages, which I think in the long run ended up helping give the coaches a good idea of guys that can make an impact now, but I think also in the future. Um, I think we should start on offense, Kevin, and kind of work our way, go offense, defense, special teams, and we'll get out of here maybe in 40 minutes. We'll see if we can do it this time. But um, <laughs> let, let's start offensively, Kevin. You know what, what interests you most from the camp perspective on the offensive side of the ball? Well, you know, it, it's kind of funny. We talked about it heading into the spring. I, I think the offensive line development, because mm. you, you knew what you had at running back. They just needed to stay healthy, right? You knew what you had at wide receiver where they had seven guys really that, that could play. If you you throw Kevin Terry in there, seven guys that have made major catches in key moments in, in football games. And so you knew what you had there. You know, Kansas has one of the deepest groups of tight ends, you know, in college football, certainly in the Big 12. And so while there were guys who were popping up and you always hear, okay, this guy's having a better fall than we expected. I think the offensive line was, mm -hmm. was one that really merited watching because of kind of what we talked about to end last season, I felt like 
And Andy Kotelnicki is a terrific offensive coordinator, you know, does a great job of making you look left when they're going right. But I think that one of the areas where Kansas wanted to get better at and something that they had at Buffalo was sort of what I would call scheme independent running. And what I mean by that is it's third and two. Kansas wants to run the ball. The defense also knows Kansas wants to run the ball and still being able to line up, knock somebody off the ball and, and go get the yardage that you you need or want to get. And I think when you look at, at some of the guys who kind of got tried out over fall camp, when you look at, you know, Armaje Reed Adams, you know, getting his chance to possibly step into that lineup. Uh, so Wayne, I, I think there are some, some really interesting scenarios where Kansas can put a group. They've got about eight guys or so, would you say, that could kind of rotate through there, but they could put a group out there that's significantly bigger and, yeah. you know, maybe more able to move guys around than what they had a year ago. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, if you look at the offense, right, I think the next step that the team had to take is can they control the point of attack? And yeah. I think you look at this offensive line and, Last year, I think we could agree, right, that KU's offensive line was probably right in the middle of the Big 12, right? Mm-hmm. They would hold their own against middle-of-the-road Big 12 teams or lower-end Big 12 teams. But when you go up against the Baylors, the Texas, the Oklahomas, it became a little bit more of a struggle, right? Totally understandable. And I think the next step, right, is that physical side of things. And we all knew that there was going to have to be at least one new face on the offensive line this year with Earl Bostic now in the NFL. Right now, it seems like, you know, Armaje Reed Adams is going to be that guy um, potentially starting at left guard. And I mean, you look at his story, right, coming in as and playing as a true freshman when he should not have been playing as a true freshman was a part of that really badged offensive line overall. And then, you know, you look last year, he was in line to start. He was getting a lot of reps with the ones and then he suffers a knee injury and then he ends up um, basically getting some spot reps throughout the course of the season. But now it really seems like it's his time. You know, I got to talk to Matt Gildersleeve last week off to the side, and he mentioned that the mental side has really started to click for Armaje, and now he's unlocking right that physical capability because he knows what he's doing in the scheme. He knows where to be, what to do. And so right now I think you're looking at, you know, Dom Pooney being your left tackle. I think he brings some physicality there. Um, sure. I think Earl Boster was really good in pass pro. I think sometimes run blocking, he wasn't the best. I think Pooney's going to be a good run blocking left tackle. Sure. Armaje left guard is going to be really good. You know what you're getting in Mike Nowitzki, and then the right side of the line right now seems like it's going to be Michael Ford and then Bryce Cable do. So I think you look at the right side. I'm sure some fans would say, oh, you know, maybe Kobe Baines should be in there, but you know, you got to give these guys credit, right? It's kind of similar to what we talked about last year, Kevin, with a lot of the new transfers coming in on defense, and still guys like Kobe Bryant and Melo Dotson elevated their game to win the starting job, and that's exactly what sure. happened. Where Michael Ford has elevated his game, where he has beat. It seems like he's likely to beat out Kobe Baines. But for me, I'm curious what you think about the, the ideologically, the idea of rotating linemen, because that's something that Lance Leipold talked about a little bit during spring. And he mentioned it too at Big 12 Media Days, where maybe they might rotate a little bit. You saw it sometimes last year, but that was more health dependent on Michael Ford. But I wouldn't be shocked if there's a game where maybe a Spencer Lovell comes in, maybe Kobe Baines comes in at right guard for a little bit, or maybe even right tackle. What do you think ideologically about the idea of rotating linemen? Because it's something that I think sounds good in re- in practice and like what you think, but I just don't know how that's going to work in reality. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, you have to see it work out in practice, like and yeah. not like not at practice, but like in practice in games. You need to see proof of concept, and mm-hmm. 
It, and it's it's one of those things I think where you know I, I do think they have eight guys that are are good enough that you know, sure. but at the same time there are so many other things that impact offensive linemen, right? You know, chemistry, understanding what the guy next to you is doing as well as what you're doing, you know, knowing, you know, Hey, this is when I'm going to need to change my assignment a little bit because this is happening. I've seen this happen with this guy before. And so I need to, to kind of change things. Timing is another really big part, but I I also think it's interesting, you know, Scott folks, I think is a terrific, offensive line coach and one of the things that he did through the spring you know and and then in fall is he cross-trained a lot of these guys Mm -hmm. they got reps not just at at sort of their quote-unquote given position but the reason Dominic Pooney is you know looking like the starter at left tackle is he got a chance to work at tackle and guard and you know these guys moved around and, and so he was able to kind of see okay these are guys who can fit with other guys where where maybe this will work out. I, I also think, you know, I don't know about, I, I also feel like it's a little bit different to say, Hey, Spencer Lovell's is going to get 15 reps a game or also going with, I'm going to go with a hot hand approach where, Hey, mm-hmm. Spencer Lovell's making his blocks a little better today than, than maybe Armaje is, you know, are we going to roll with Spencer, you know, the rest of this game. And so I do think there are some things to figure out there. One thing I wanted to ask you, kind of changing topics a little bit, but staying in the mm-hmm. offense. Obviously, the the elephant in the room is uh, is Jalen Daniels' health, right? Because yeah. when he's healthy, it takes that Kansas offense up to another level, and it takes the entire team's belief level. I feel like up to another level where they don't feel like they're. I, I don't want to say they don't feel like they're capable of losing, but they always feel like they're in a game, even if they're down. 14 points or 20 points uh, you had a chance to ask Jalen about his injury status and, and sort of, Hey, if there were a game this Saturday, you know, would you be going, what did you kind of hear? And, and how do you feel about that? You know, moving into these, these last few days before the first game. Yeah. I mean, Kevin, look, I, I struggle with it. I go back and forth on the entire thing, right? Basically Jalen, um, was more or less full go the first couple practices. And then this back tightness, popped up and yep. on the basketball side, right? We saw MJ Rice deal with back issues all year. Um, obviously I think there was other things going on there <laughs> behind the scenes, but you look at Jalen, right. And you're right. Like he is really the the straw that serves the drink for the offense. That's how good he is. And, you know, yeah, I asked him at, or at uh, the team's media day, Hey, if there's a game this weekend um, being yesterday, Saturday, or, or you know, Saturday for listening to us on Monday. And he said, yeah, I'd play. Okay cool i like i understand why he says that but also at the same time i'm like is he gonna say no i wouldn't play sure i don't like what do you like for some reason like you have to ask the question right you have to ask and i also don't I'm like oh, what else is he gonna say and so for me that's where i'm a little on the fence with it my concern started out at like a zero i'm probably like a three or a four right now we'll sure. see what lance liable has to say on wednesday if he comes out Wednesday and says Jalen's not practicing still, then I might get a little bit concerned because you're you're getting under 10 days until the start of the season. And I think, too, Kevin, I don't know about you, but Jalen's been around, right? Sure. He knows the offense. And does he need a full fall camp to, you know, to get rhythm with the guys? Not really, you know. Yeah. But my issue, too, is he was kind of limited early on during spring practice. And then now is limited in camp. 
And it's like, he hasn't really had a lot of like live reps since the bowl game. And so that for me is kind of the one area where maybe I'm getting a little, a little bit concerned. It's just, you know, a live reps, but look, if he goes out there and plays a half against Missouri state and looks good, I think everyone's going to forget about it. And it's just one of those issues where it's a back issue. Like you don't know really how it's going to react day in and day out. And just have no idea. Yeah, you don't. And so that the the uncertainty of it, I think is a little making people uneasy, more fans. I mean, at least people I've talked to around the KU program, like it doesn't sound like people are like smashing the panic button yet, but I think it's hard to say, Hey man, you know, the preseason big 12 offensive player of the year hasn't really been a full go on practice in, in two weeks. Like there's still gotta be some level of like, Ooh, that doesn't sound great. So I think we'll know more on Wednesday, but I think for this point in time, like I'm kind of like, I don't know. We'll see. You know, what do you think about it, Kevin? Yeah, that's the nature of back injuries in general, right? Like no two back injuries are created the same. There are some guys that, I mean, Larry Bird, you know, basically it ended his career, the back injuries that he was dealing with. And I know I'm going way, way back in time. I'm just saying that there are other times where guys have back injuries and it limits them just a little bit. And and, you know, you, you're cautious with it and everything, and there's there's a full recovery, and, and it's not as as big a deal. And so I, I've had some people say, oh, gosh, like, is is he going to be dealing with this all year? And I have no idea. And I'm not, I'm not a doctor. Even if I had his charts and had Jalen telling me what the issue was, I wouldn't be able to tell you if he would, you know, if this is something that's going to last and last and last. And I – I do think the good news is, you know, obviously they were being careful with it. It wasn't yeah. like he was it wasn't like he was really pushing through it to where you're like, well, he's kind of stretching a, a week long injury into something that could be a little bit longer. And and I'm kind of right there with you. I don't have a huge concern level yet, but you do want to see him take reps heading into that opener you know you you want to and not just in the opener but you want to see him there for a full week's practice maybe even more you know week and a half 10 days however you want to put it you you want to see him practicing to where he has that chance to get back up to speed and i think when you look at you know jalen last year dealing with the injury and it was a totally different injury obviously mm-hmm. but when you saw him come back against texas there was a lot of rust to shake off. And so, you know, the Texas game, the K-State game after that, I feel like neither of those games did you really see who Jalen Daniels was. But then, you know, he went through bowl practices, you know, sort of got back up to speed. And the Arkansas game was, I mean, I can't say it's more what we expect because you don't expect anybody to throw for 550 (laughs) yards or whatever. But it was it was much more healthy Jalen, sort of what we were used to seeing. And so that's my thing with this is does he get the practice time to shake that rust off? Yeah. And obviously Kansas probably gonna win that first game, you know, whether Jalen plays or plays a major role. If not, I probably shouldn't say that given KU's recent history in, in some of those games, but you know, generally speaking, that's a game that they should win. Yeah. But you really, you know, I look at this as you want to get Jalen back on the field. You want him to play in that game so that he is ready, no rust, whatever, when Illinois comes to town because Illinois has a chance to have one of the nation's best defenses, and I think that that's one of those games that if Jalen's playing, you've got a chance to win. And if he isn't, I'm not saying you can't win, 
but I am saying that the formula changes significantly. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that the nature of it, right. We're just not going to know. Sure. I'm sure we'll talk about it again next Sunday when we do our, our next podcast. Right. I think that's just going to be kind of the way it goes. And it's just one of those, we'll have to see how it works out. I think looking at the rest of the offense, it's been a quiet camp for the running backs, which I think is, a, that's what you want, yes. right? If you're returning those three or really those two guys and Devin Neal, Daniel Hyshaw, you add in Dylan McDuffie, Sevion Morrison is back. Mm-hmm. Um, Johnny Thompson had a good camp, the true freshman, um, but I think that's the that's the room you want to hear nothing about, just with the injury history of guys like Devin Neal and you're really Devin Neal getting banged up, but injury history with someone like Hyshaw, where I mean in spring practice, right? You're looking at McDuffie getting a lot of reps, and it was some walk-ons getting you know running back reps in spring practice too. So I think that's a group you want it to be quiet. R- wide receiver, it's about building depth. Sounds like Trevor Wilson had a good camp. Douglas a million had a good camp. And now you're looking at kind of KU having the top three, but I think we talked about this all last year, Kevin, right? Those top three guys were so good, but there was just no production underneath those three. And now you're looking at Trevor Wilson having some rhythm going into this year. You're looking at Douglas a million having more confidence in the scheme, I think. And Tanaka Scott still, I think is believed to have one of the highest ceilings of any of the wide receivers in the room. So I think you got to feel a little bit better about those guys, but I think skill position wise, I think it's just a good position to be in going into the year where yep. it sounds like guys have just been pretty steady. Yeah. And you know, you look at, uh, you look at tight end, you know, in addition to that group, you know, you bring back Mason Fairchild, who's, you know, one of the big 12's best tight ends. You bring back Jared Casey, who I would say, I realize he's a tight end, but I would say he's maybe the big 12's best fullback you know, when you look at the way that they use him and, you know, the way that he leads so many of their big run plays, you know, go behind him, you know, he's able to catch the ball and, and be on the move and do some things as an H back type guy, but he's more of an H back fullback type. And Mm -hmm. then one of the, I thought one of the better pieces of news in terms of, Hey, this guy's having a breakout spring. And if you haven't read it or breakout camp, if you haven't read it, uh, Swain wrote an article on Fognet where he looked at five guys that really caught a lot of buzz in terms of, hey, these are guys that had great camps. You know, one of them uh, was Trevor Cardell. And, and I think that's a really big deal because I do think he brings something a little different than the other guys. You know, Mason Fairchild, maybe a little bit more balanced, classic tight end. People forget Trevor Cardell was a high school wide receiver, you know, lined up on the outside. Yeah. And so, he, I think two years ago, you looked at Cardell and you said, man, this is a guy that really has a chance to to impact games down the seam and, and do a lot of things that way. And if Cardell plays the way that it was reported that he played this fall camp, he's going to be in that rotation. And he's going to have a chance to create some plays in the passing game too. Yeah, and he's one, right? You saw it last year at times, right? Yeah. I think the Duke game, you showed it and – He's a guy that I think this is two years in a row now where it's been, hey, he looks good in camp, and it's just a question of, all right, can he kind of you know, spring that into a good season? And obviously it'll be hard, right? You've got two sure. guys ahead of you that are established starters, have the trust of the coaches, and it's just about taking the next step. So um, I think that'll do it for offense. Let, let's swap over to the defensive side of the ball, Kevin. I mean, for me, like going into camp, the biggest question was defensive line. Yeah. And – I feel a whole lot better about it right now than I did July 31st. And I think for me, a lot of that revolves around the camp that the defensive tackles have had 
Devin Phillips has played really well. He's got a crazy story where, you know, I I think when he came in, he was like 340 pounds and uh, dropped a bunch of body fat over the summer and over the, the kind of the period between kind of January now dropped a lot of body fat. And it's just an explosive player. Um, Matt Gildersleeve told me has about 80 explosive actions in a full practice. And the next best would be 60. So he's a guy that's come on. He's been the real deal. Exactly what the coaches want. I mean, you look at guys like Tommy Dunn, DJ Withers. I mean, we talked about them all last season, right? Guys that were kind of developing behind the scenes, developing, getting 15 snaps a game. Both of those guys seem ready to take the next step. If Gage Keys can stay healthy. He's another one that brings great length and athleticism. So like the defensive tackles for me, I feel a lot better about. Yeah. You look at Jeremy Robinson on the strong side. and You look at on the weak side then too, right? Austin Booker, I think, has had a great camp. Yeah. He's another one that's really changed his body. He was about 230 pounds when he got to campus. He's about 245 pounds now. He looks a whole lot different now than when I saw him play in spring practice. And so I look at this defensive line now, and right, Kevin, I think we talked about growing pains and how yeah. this offense or the defensive line could have growing pains. And I'm kind of coming around on it to maybe where the growing pains, maybe they won't be so bad. I think it's a group that I'm starting to be a little bit bullish on. Yeah, and I, I love the the stat on the explosive plays for Phillips because I think when he came in, the word was, you know, he would absolutely wreck somebody, you know, for a play mm-hmm. or two. But, you know, being 340 pounds, it was tough for him to keep that up sort of in longer, you know, in longer bursts. And, and kudos to him for, for changing his body, for getting to the point that he can do that consistently as much as he's able because – you know, I, I'm not sure Kansas has a, another nose tackle, you know, like him. I mean, in, in terms of not just the size and the strength, but the quickness and the feet that he displays at that size. You know, he, he has a chance to be a really huge part of this defense. I, I thought the Booker thing was was fascinating because I think if you would have asked me going into the spring, I would have said, well, a defensive tackle, they're probably going to start both transfers, right? It's going to be Devin Phillips and it's going to be Gage Keys and it's going to be Tommy Dunn and DJ Withers behind him. And it was a big deal for those guys to kind of step up over the spring, especially Tommy Dunn, where you said, wait a minute, like Tommy Dunn may be that other mm-hmm. starter. Heading into the fall, I think we were looking at it and the biggest question mark for me was, okay, who's the defensive end opposite Jeremy Robinson? because Jeremy Robinson is a guy that has NFL ability. You know, he flashed that at times last year. I think the hope is, is that he becomes that guy more consistently this year, especially with the starting spot where he's not rotating about half and half. Um, And so to hear that Austin Booker now had one of the best fall camps, you know, when you add the spring to, to what they did in preseason camp, uh, I think the defensive line, the buzz could not, be better in terms of, Hey, you know, these are question marks, major question marks. And Hey, maybe, maybe there are some answers there. And I do Mm -hmm. think, you know, depth is going to be a question, you know, especially you look at, I, I realize I keep bringing up the Illinois game, but Brett Bielema's personality is he's going to line up and he's going to run that ball at you 45 or 50 times. And if you can't hold up, you're going to lose that football game. And and so I I think that that's going to be a really interesting early test for this group is, Hey, how did they hold up in in that situation? And, and I think, you know, while it sounds like, Hey, there aren't as many holes in that starting lineup or that starting group, 
as maybe we thought initially, I do question, hey, is that quality depth going to get there in time for something like that? Because having BYU so soon after Illinois, if Kansas struggles to stop Illinois, I think you really start to ask questions about that BYU game a little bit because BYU is going to line up. I think they've got a 240-pound tailback and they're going to line up and run the ball at you. And so if they if they show up well in that Illinois game and they hold their own and everything, it really changes the outlook of, of sort of that September and that first month for KU, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this next week, but like that Illinois game for me is like so important. Yeah. So important, right? Between, I think, setting the tone for the season, I think it'll show us a lot about where KU is just in the trenches because you know what Illinois is going to come in and do. They're going to come in and be physical. They've got draft picks on the defensive line. They've got old experienced guys on the offensive line. And I think it's going to be a really good uh, litmus test for where Kansas is at in the trenches. And so um, I think, you know, you look at the weak side defensive end spot. Uh, the depth chart will come out, um, not this Monday, but next Monday. And, you know, Hayden Hatcher probably will be like listed as a starter, but he's kind of been banged up over the course of camp too. So he's one that, even if he's a listed starter, maybe Austin Booker does get, you know, half the snaps in the opener. I mean, we'll have to see. And obviously I think the game state will determine some of that. I think you look at the second level, um, another transfer. I think generally like you're looking back at this transfer class. And I think you look back at this time last year and that transfer class that they brought in, eh, meh, right. You look at some of the guys on defense, they brought in just kind of meh, um, I think they've hit home runs right now. You look at the defensive line transfers they brought in, and then you look at someone like J.B. Brown, who's been incredible in camp, just incredible. Um, a guy who is really athletic, really strong. Mac Yildersleeve, and I keep mentioning him, but I, you know, it's he was really interesting this past week where he brought up a story with J.B. where you know, I asked him, hey, I've heard he could swat 600 pounds. And Gildersleeve's like, yeah, he can, but we don't want him to do more because he's at the point where he creates so much force and so much violence in the way that he hits that you don't want him getting stronger where maybe puts, you know, ligaments and soft tissue stuff in danger. And we talked about how JB, they do a lot of velocity stuff. It's not like percentage of max. Um, It's more velocity, the speed at which you move the weight. And he said that JB Brown speed squatted 600 pounds, which if you've seen JB, he's like six, two. um, I don't have his weight in front of me, but I guess probably two twenty. And he's squatting as much as Tommy Dunn. It's, yeah. it's insane. It's just insane. So he's someone that I think is really going to be a big part of that linebacker room. And I think he's just such an upgrade, such an upgrade over Eric Gilliard or, or Lorenzo McCaskill last year. I think he's someone that's going to be a big time player for KU at that linebacker spot. Yeah, it's interesting um, when, and, and I don't know if we've talked about this before, when you look at stuff that basically correlates from recruiting to success at the at the college level and ultimately the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, it differs by position, obviously, you know, but the position where 40 time most correlates to success, which I think would surprise a lot of people, is at linebacker. And, you know, if you really start to think about it, it makes sense and that a linebacker can't make a tackle if he can't get to the play. And when you look at a guy like J.B. Brown, and I have no idea what his 40 time is, but he puts on tape that he can run. Like he, he's an athletic guy. 
you know, I, I think that, that that's that's something that this Kansas linebacking core could really use. Obviously, Craig mm-hmm. Young's one of the fastest guys on the team. He can he can really move, but they ask him, you can call him a linebacker, but really he's kind of a jack of all trades type guy. He's not a traditional linebacker in that sense. And I think when you look at the traditional linebackers, they really could use a guy that can run around it and fly around. And you look at mm-hmm. At the most successful, you know, KU linebackers over recent years, you know, Ben Heaney, you look at Joe Deneen, guys like that, those guys were all running sub four six. And, you know, you you look at Brown, I I, I don't know if he's gonna start or not. You know, they've got all those guys back. And so that's a little bit of a little bit of a challenge to break in that group. I think Taiwan Berryhill runs really well. I think he just mm-hmm. needs to be more consistent but i do think that whether he starts or not he's going to play starter type reps this year just because he really use his skill set yeah well the thing too i think that's so great and you mentioned how you know scott fuchs cross trains well that's what chris simpson did this off season where you know tywin got a lot of reps at mike linebacker right spring ball was about hey you know tywin you got to learn the mic spot you have to learn the mic spot and he did and then now he's ready to be the whale or he could be the mic. And what that allows you to do is Rich Miller no longer has to play 90% of the snaps, Yep. which I think evolving this defense is going to mean getting more athletes on the field. And I think for as smart as Rich Miller is and as good of a feel he has for the defense, he's not a top tier athlete. And I think what having someone like JB Brown on the field, in addition to Taiwan, what that does is it gives you better athletes and guys that can go cover more ground, where realistically, I think you could see Craig Young, Tywin Berryhill, and J.B. Brown on the field at the same time this year, mm-hmm. right? I think you're going to see that probably a good amount. And as a result, there's going to be so much more team speed at that linebacker spot, which we talked about, right? KU need to be better at stopping the run a lot last year, a lot over the summer. Well, one of the ways they can do that is right to your point, Kevin, guys that can just get to the ball. Yep. Just get to the ball. Yeah. And that's what they've got now. And so I think that makes me, again, feel a little bit better about maybe where some of the improvement on defense could come from is just, look, they replaced two guys that had stone, you know, cinder blocks for feet. <laughs> and with a guy like JB, who is a good athlete, you know, not maybe Craig Young, but a lot more like Tyron Berry, who maybe a little bit better than him. So I just think overall, you're looking at the team speed at a linebacker spot, getting a lot better when you can put Barry Hill, Brown, and young on the field at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really hard to tackle somebody and it gets significantly easier when you bring your buddies along. And, and so when you're, when you're able to gang tackle, the other thing that I think this opens up a little bit that I'm fascinated to watch is Brian Borland would tell you himself that he's kept things pretty simple, you know, for Mm -hmm. this defense. And I think that when you have a group like that, that can really run at the second level, it opens up some things you can do with blitzes and pass rushes and different things like that to where maybe he feels like, Hey, in a, in a big game in September, I don't know if Jeremy Robinson and Austin Booker are going to get home. So why don't I, I go ahead and, you know, send a little extra help. We saw them use Craig Young a little bit as Mm -hmm. a pass rusher at times last year, having that much more speed, it just opens up a lot more things that you can do. Uh, in terms of the pass rush and, and, you know, different calls and things that you can make. The other thing I thought too was 
um, and, and this will seg into the secondary a little bit. Um, when people would run things um, like bubble screens or, or sort of sideways screens to, to get on the outer levels of the defense, the corners needed to play more physically, I thought, last year in those mm-hmm. situations. But the other thing was, was Kansas's linebackers weren't getting out there to, to help. And I think that this will help uh, help those defensive backs out in, in a little bit in those situations where people say, hey, you're putting a bunch of guys in the box to try and stop the run. We're going to throw it out here and bet that you can't get out here to, to make this play. And Kansas is going to have more guys who are capable of making those plays. But uh, speaking of physicality and defensive back, uh, what uh, what was the word on, on the cornerback position in particular? Because you return two starters, but also yeah. they go out and get Demarius McGee. They've got some other interesting guys kind of in the program. And so how, how did you hear the, that that kind of played out? Yeah, I think as expected, you know, so for me, I look at it, right, and you've got Kobe and Mello coming back. And I think for them, the big step forward is consistency. And I think you saw a huge jump between 2021 and 2022 in that regard, right? I think we could all say that they probably went from, I, whatever, like I can't think of like percentage numbers, but like 30% consistency to like 55 or 60% consistency. I feel like it's probably a good measurement of where it was at. Well, now I think it's about taking that next step to being like 85% consistent. And it sounds like Kobe's really taken that on. Um, He doesn't talk very much. So it's harder (laughs) to maybe get a feel for what he's thinking or what he's doing, um, which is totally fine. It's his personality. It's you know, it's who he is as a human. That's cool. Um, But I, I think something that Jordan Peterson said that I thought was really interesting is the fact that they can now go really far into the schemes and Hey, when it's this coverage, you just need to focus on this and this, and you now have a better feel for when to take a gamble and when not to take a gamble. Yeah. And I think that allows you to have a lot more consistency when you know, uh, this is not the coverage and not the game state to take a gamble here versus yeah. this is the time. And so I think that's the improvement. I think McGee had a good camp. He's still going to be behind, right? You know, Mello and Kobe, but you're looking at him having three years left. I mean, this year is yeah. about by depth, quality depth and, We'll have to see, right, what happens after this year. But if one of the guys leaves, great. You've got another guy that can step in because Kalon Gervin, too, I believe, is entering his last year of eligibility. Who the heck knows nowadays with the COVID stuff? Like, I, I still struggle with that. But I think the room overall that I think consistency is going to be the big next step. And I guess just the talk has been that they should be closer. But again, it's kind of one of those deals where, yeah, you can talk about it, but maybe one of those, maybe I need to see it before I believe it. But they've been saying the right things, and it sounds like the guys have had a a pretty good camp so far. Yeah, and I I think McGee is interesting moving forward. He was was a pretty good athlete. You know, there's a reason this guy was a top 100 recruit in the country and started his career at LSU. Uh, He played some as a true freshman. You had the coaching change there where Brian Kelly comes in. They wanted something a little bit different from their cornerbacks. And, and so he kind of fell out of favor there, if you will. But, you know, he's still a really talented guy. And, and I think the fact that Kansas returns those guys who have not just played a lot of college football, but done it in the Big 12, where it's mm-hmm. very tough to be yeah. a cornerback. You're getting challenged a lot. And 
So to, to have that in front of McGee where he doesn't need to be, you know, all everything right away, he doesn't need to be Devin Phillips. And, and mm-hmm. you know, he can he can kind of rotate through in that group and, and sort of grow similarly to the way that, you know, a guy like Kobe Bryant did early in his career to get to where he is now. I, I think that's a, a positive, the fact that they can have, you know, all three of those cornerbacks out there, you know, the crazy thing about Craig Young is he's not a cornerback, but he lines up over the slot a lot. So he's almost like a nickel corner who is the size of, of a linebacker. But, you know, to have those guys back is a real positive. And then, mm-hmm. you know, moving forward into the position that I think may be the best overall position uh, on the KU football team in terms of not just the starters, but the depth, the guys they're bringing in, and shoot, even the 2024 class, that mm-hmm. safety group, I think, is really strong and deep, and and has a lot of uh, has a lot of guys there too. Yeah, I don't agree, actually. Oh, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. I don't really rate Kenny Logan. I, maybe that's a hot take. No, but it's not. We'll it's see. not a hot take. We'll see. Like I, I would pick so I think I'd pick other positions before I pick the safeties. Honestly, it just for me, like I think OJ Burroughs is a good player. Um, I think his development is really fun to watch because I think physically sure. he's gotten so much stronger, so much more confident. I think he's, he's so a really smart. good player. I, I mean, yeah. you don't you don't set the IMG interceptions ranking, you know, record yeah. without knowing what you're doing. And so I, I don't necessarily rate Kenny Logan. I I'm a little higher on him than some people based on the fact that I thought he was really good two years ago. Last year, the jump that we thought would or should happen didn't happen. And if it did, let's be clear. If it did, he wouldn't be at Kansas this year. He would be in the NFL. If he had the year last year that a lot of people thought he was going to have, I rate Marvin Grant. I I Mm -hmm. think that, you know, he's he's a really good player. I think Logan... I'm not down on him necessarily as much as like, this is our chance to see whether, whether he rebounds or not, but I'm talking like not just the two deep, even I I think when you go into the three deep, you have a a guy like Purdy, you brought in a couple classes Mm -hmm. ago that I thought could really, really play. Um, I think Mason Ellis is going to be a good special teamer sooner rather than later. Um, I think when you look at, again, that 2024 class and the safeties that they're bringing in in that group, it's not necessarily, hey, these starters are as good as as other positions. Because I Mm -hmm. agree with you. I think if you're looking at, hey, these are are the top three guys, there are other positions that are stronger than safety. But I think the fact that you can go three deep or maybe even four deep in some cases with quality players over the next couple of years, I think that's where – where I believe the strength lies in that position. Got it. Okay. Yeah. We'll see. I, I think you we'll still disagree. I, I'm in, no. Yeah. I'm still in the, we'll see. I'm in the, we'll see what the, the other guys they have. Like, I think you're right. Sure. I think Mason Ellis, this is the year for him to be a special teams guy. That's great. Yep. I think Caleb Purdy, right. Can you be on the travel roster? Can you do that? Obviously I think Andrew Russell, um, the walk on former transfer from Michigan, who also played lacrosse in Michigan. Um, He's a guy that's going to travel. He's going to be a special teams guy all year, and that's what KU needs. KU needs more guys that are just going to be. You you just have a lot of guys, I think. Yeah, Yeah, I think Dye is the one that I'll watch to see what happens with him this year because he's the one that had a really good camp – or a really good spring, I should say. Um, But now it's a question of, right, where does he fit, right? Is he behind OJ? 
Is he going to be on the boundary? Because then if so, then he's probably behind Kenny and Marvin. I think for me, I'm really interested to see just what the snaps look like between Kenny Logan and Marvin Grant, because I think Marvin brings more athletic pop than Kenny. And I think Kenny brings you, I think, you know, I think just being experienced, right. Being around the block, he knows where everyone should be. Um, The leadership side of that. I think that's really important. I do not want to discount that, but I would say that if we're going to talk about the Kansas defense evolving and getting more athletic, I think Marvin Grant is the type of person that allows you to do that. So I think it's just kind of two different ways of thinking about what you want from that boundary safety spot where do you need the leadership? Do you need the experience? Um, the guy that's been around the block. If so, cool. Then Kenny should play a lot. Do you need more athletic pop there at the boundary spot? I think Marvin Grant showed over the course of the second half of last season that he has the ability to play in the big 12 level. I think he really grew in as the season went on. And I think that's one of the things where I, I just going forward, I think you'll see Kansas really prioritize winter portal recruiting and then get more long-term projects like a Dylan Brooks in the summer, because asking a guy to come in in the summer, have can't be the first time he plays on the defense and expect him to make an impact in the first four weeks of the season. That's really hard to do. So I think you're going to see some, some changes long-term. And I think this is a season for Marvin Grant where let's see, um, I'd love to see him get some more playing time. Cause again, if we're talking about KU taking the step athletically, I, I think, you know, it's him. That's the next step. Right. And then after that, I think you're right. You know, Mason Ellis, you know, Achille Hubbard, Jalen Dye, those guys. I, I'm a pretty, happen. I'm a pretty guy too. Uh, or at yeah, least pretty, I was yeah. at high school. And yeah, that's just it. Like that's the, that's where my argument lies. Is just like, they don't just have, I, I think a quality too deep. I, I think mm-hmm. you go really deep in terms of guys who could, who could wind up playing at Kansas and potentially even playing major roles. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think that's the case right now with, I think the entire defense, right? You look at yeah. the the pipeline, if you want to call it right, you can start to see like, this is kind of the last year before really things can start to chug along um, where you're kind of in a transition almost year where the defensive line is kind of getting there. The linebacker room is kind of getting there. Um, and then kind of next year and beyond is when I think a lot of the, the transition will happen to be more, what this coaching staff wants and recruits for and, and all that stuff. So I think before we get out of here, we got to talk special teams. Yeah. Um, Seth Keller at practice. Did you see, did you see him kick? How did it go? And no, that's the issue. The oh field goal kickers. The, so this is the best part about it. So the field goal kickers, we get to see probably the first 30 minutes of practice. Sure. The field goal kickers don't kick during that time. They're usually chilling on the sideline doing their specialist stuff. And then they usually go to the other field to go into Memorial Stadium and kick um, or things like that. So really the, the specialist I got to watch is, is the punters. And I think Damon Greaves is going to start. And I think he's going to be really freaking good. Um, I just think the the Aussie rules style where he's going to kind of run a little bit to the right and then boot it. I think that's going to help because KU had the least amount of fair catches last year. 11, 25% of KU's punts were fair caught. TCU, on the other hand, they had a, a guy from the same exact program as Damon Greaves. Same exact program, right? Pro Kick Australia. 63% of their punts were fair caught. 25%, 63%. There's a lot of room for improvement there for Kansas, and I think that the punting game should be in a position to take the next step. Field goal kicking-wise, we'll just have to find out because I have no <laughs> idea. And, and, and obviously, I mean – Keller's a proven kicker, you know, at the yeah, college level. So. so, so I'm not, I'm not 
too worried about any of that. It, it's more just sort of, man, like there's there's no buzz. And this is this was one of, I think when we saw all of the different transfers, this was a guy that maybe we circled and put an exclamation point by mm-hmm. in terms of, hey, this guy is he's going to step in and start it and play a major role right away. Because as bad as the defense was last year, I think they were 102nd in uh, in uh, SP plus in, in defense. They were 126th, I think, in special teams. So they were even worse on special teams than they were on defense. You bring in the guys on the field, off the field, obviously, the addition of Sean Snyder, who – has been around some awfully good special teams units and, and has coached mm-hmm. that really, really well. You're hoping, obviously everybody's hoping, hey, Kansas is going to be really good on offense. The defense is maybe going to take a step forward. I, I would say that, you know, while you want the defense to take a step forward, while I think it it possibly will take a step forward, I think the easier jump might be to go from as bad as they were on special teams to become even like a middle tier special teams group. And the other part of that formula, I think too, is us sitting here talking about the program's increased depth, right? Because that factors in huge on special teams, you know, on kickoff coverage, are you playing a starter who's already played 80 snaps because you have to get his athleticism out there? Are you playing a walk-on or somebody who has no business being out there? And, And, you know, I think that, Sometimes when your program lacks depth, you wind up on on either end of that where maybe you're playing too many starters, too many snaps. But the flip side of that is, is if you don't, the guys that are out there maybe aren't good enough. And I think that Kansas has athletes sort of at what you would consider the second level of the program mm-hmm. that could fill out a lot of those special teams units and they could be more athletic and have better guys and everything out there on special teams this year than they did last year. Yeah, exactly. Look, I think it's the point now where don't lose games on special teams. Yeah. Don't lose games on special teams. They lost the Baylor game because the, the punter was terrible. And, you know, they shanked a punt out of bounds and just gave Baylor two short fields and all of a sudden they're up 21 nothing or something like that. You look at the TCU game, multiple kickoffs out of bounds. TCU started several drives from the 35-yard line. That yep. can't happen. And then you look at the K-State game, right? O.J. Burroughs fumbles the ball on a punt, he must the punt right inside the five and in K-State scores a play later. Don't lose games on special teams. Just be yeah. just be middle of the road. Be middle of the road. Can you be 75th? Can you be 60th? People, like you're not gonna lose games that way. Like just just be decent. People don't think about it because of what the final score wound up being. Kansas was within two touchdowns of K-State and Manhattan in the fourth quarter last year. You take away the the OJ Burroughs play where you give up a touchdown, you're within a touchdown of K State in Manhattan, and all of a sudden, all of that pressure is on K State. It's not on Kansas at that point because K State's playing at home. They're playing for a chance to go to the Big Twelve title game. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's a different game in that situation if you just don't have that play. And I'm not trying to hammer on OJ Burroughs, who I think is a terrific player, and you know, is going to be really good. I'm just saying you eliminate those just back-breaking special teams mistakes. I think that Kansas can compete with teams that maybe even people don't believe that they can compete with. Yeah, right. And I think you got to look too. I mean, geez, you know, for that play, right? They start inside the five. 
and they score the next play. Like I think then KU went down to score. Like you're talking about a, a you, right? You're talking about them being down 14. Well, yep. if my punt doesn't happen, that's seven points. And say KU's offense had gone on to score that drive. You're talking about technically, right? A tie game and it's all hypothetical, whatever. But uh, these are plays that are big momentum plays mm-hmm. in the game. Can you trust your field goal kicker to go out and make a 30 yard field goal? Right. Mm-hmm. Like these are certain things that just will help you win football games and help you stay in football games. And so I think generally, right, it's all about kind of widening the margin for error, right? Especially on a schedule like KU has this year where it's a tough schedule, yeah. right? They play a lot of good teams. Can they widen that margin for error where the offense doesn't need to be perfect and the defense doesn't need to go force three turnovers in the game to be in the game? You know, I think all these things together kind of come, you you wrap it all together, right? And you get a team that can play some complimentary football. And if you play complimentary football and have the offense Kansas has, you're going to be in a position to win games. And yeah. so I think it's, you know, we talk, it's talking season. So you can say <laughs> things like that. We'll see how it plays out. But I think they're right. Those are some of the things that if Kansas can't put these things together, they can stop the run a little bit better. If they cannot give up so many big plays through the air. They cannot lose games on special teams. Like there is a world in which they can go to a bowl game, win seven, eight games, right? But again, you're asking for a lot of different things to come together all at once, and things aren't always perfect. So we'll have to see. But um, Kevin, any final thoughts on on camp before we uh, wrap this show up? No, I, I actually think that we we hit it pretty well. I mean, there were some questions going into camp, like you always have, and oh yeah, Swain's giving himself a pat on the back. But uh, but no, it, I think that Kansas went into camp with some questions. I think most of those questions, I don't want to say were answered, but you at least feel better about them maybe finding answers yeah. there. And, and so we'll the the bottom line is we'll find out here really really quickly (laughs) you know whether those are answered or not but no i i think from an injury standpoint you know obviously with jalen being up in the air but other than that you wanted to come out of camp healthy you wanted to potentially find you know a couple spots you know are we going to feel good about these spots are we in trouble etc i i think camp went about as well as as you could hope for Mm -hmm. yeah i think so I think so. Maybe we'll talk about the injuries next time and lingering stuff once we talk to Lance for the uh, last time. But thank you, Kevin, as always, for joining. And for those listening on iTunes or Spotify, please leave us a rating and review. Those always go a long way. If you're watching on the YouTube channel, make sure you like and subscribe to the channel. Make sure you are checking out Fog.net. A lot of really fun content coming your way this week. If you missed it last week for VIP subscribers, we did a player poll where Nathan Swaffer, um, I helped him a little bit with it, but went around and asked a lot of questions to players and got some some really interesting feedback on guys that stood out, guys that surprised the games that players are looking forward to, the strongest player, the fastest player on the team, all that good stuff. So plenty of content over there at Fog.net. Kevin, thank you as always. We will talk to you again next Sunday. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.